This New America NYC event took place on August 2nd, 2017, and is titled Stuff. This event is part of a social cinema screening series at Tumblr and features Amanda Lippitz, Paula Dofat, Abigail Swisher, Unique Brathwaite, Blessing Geraldo, Corey Granger, and Taylor Solomon. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. So the rest of our panel are on their way. They are stuck in traffic right now. So the girls, their counselor, um, and the filmmaker will be here shortly. But in the meantime, we are, uh, we are joined by Unique Brathwaite of Lyft New York. Um, and she's here to tell us a little bit about the work that she does and how it connects to the great film that we just saw. So I'd love to start off with you just giving us an overview of the work that you do. Sure, well first, can we just have another round of applause for this amazing, Amazing film. I hope that I share a similar sentiment with all of you when I say that it's just deeply humbling um, to be able to see something like this and, and have that narrative really connect with us. So thank you for making this possible. So again, my name is Unique Brathwaite. I am the executive director of an organization called LIFT. We are a national anti-poverty organization. In New York, we're in the South Bronx. I am proud to serve families and parents in Mont Haven. Um, a community not too far, far away from here. Um, the work at Lyft is really about working with parents to interrupt intergenerational poverty. So we all know from research and from data that you know poverty is passed down from parent to child. Um, and if we want to be able to change outcomes for young people, like the three young women that we saw in this film, we've really got to make very clear investments in parents and families to be able to do that little bit about me. I am born and raised in Brooklyn. I'm a proud Brooklynite. Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Uh, but I live in Harlem now with my family. Harlem too, Harlem. And uh, I spent the first 15, 16 years of my career working with young people um, in mentoring, in early academic intervention, in college access and persistence. The common denominator for me has always been families and communities. And you cannot change the lives of young people um, or the most vulnerable in our community without working with amazing parents like we saw in this film. So I represent Mott Haven and the mamas that we work with up there um, in this journey that we're all on together. So I'm happy to talk about what that means for our work and how I see this fitting in. Yeah, absolutely. So I think my first and biggest question for you, you know, I think that we um, are probably in agreement when we say that schools, you know, are not there to take the place of parents in helping children to succeed and uh, achieve, but they're there to help parents, uh, you know, lift their children up. Um, and I'm wondering, in the work that you do, and you know, given uh, what we just saw, what parents need the most to help lift their children up? I think parents need, um, well, let me start by saying parents are the CEOs of their families. They know exactly what they need for themselves and for their children to be successful. I think the challenges that we see with so many of our parents is the lack of um, access to resources or, or information. Um, it is confusing. How many people have recently been, let's say, in a New York City public school? 
Anyone? Couple of folks? You sure were, my friend. That's right. Um, our public schools, um, our teachers, our faculty, our staff that work in our schools, I think they do amazing work and are trying to do the right thing. It is a hard and complicated system to navigate. I am born and raised in Brooklyn, and I am the thing that struggles, the thing that thing causes me the most anxiety is trying to figure out how to navigate the system for my kids because we believe in public schools. And so I think that um, the, the challenges that our parents face is trying to navigate all of its complex. It's a really complex system. And when you are not English speaking, when you are not from here, when you didn't grow up here, um, that I think just compounds their reality. Um, and so parents, I think, are not always equipped to be able to navigate as the CEOs, even though they come to the table in that way. So I think that schools, in partnership um, with the community, with organizations like mine uh, and, and others, need to be able to support parents better. Because at the end of the day, your kid can't learn and be successful in the classroom. They're not going to show up to school like Blessin didn't because if mom is not okay or if things are not okay at home. That's just the reality. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another theme that we really you know, saw throughout this film is the power of mentors, both within your family and without, and giving your background in mentoring. And I, I know that you participated in a mentoring program when you were in school, is that right? What do you think the role is to play you know, for mentors in the, the school space? Yeah, I mean, I think, I firmly believe that none of us have done anything by ourselves. We all need mentors, someone who's in our corner to provide support and, and provide guidance. Um, and so I think there's a real important role for, for mentors. Every single person that we saw featured in this film played some sort of role as a mentor, whether it was the college counselor or the coach or the principal, all of the moms, the family members, we need to have mentors and we need to empower them um, mm -hmm. with the resources, with the information, with the tools to be able to come to the table, to love our young people, as I say, back into consciousness when they need it, um, or righteousness, uh, but also hold them accountable, right? Look at Coach G in the, in the film, right? She wasn't backing down and, and was gonna hold all of them accountable, but also gonna love them at the same time. And we've gotta be able to create the right um, opportunities for people to be able to participate um, as mentors, whether it's formal opportunities through programs um, or creating, um, keeping you know, arts alive in schools and, and other opportunities for young people to come to the table in a way that they may not in the classroom. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I wonder if you're comfortable if you would tell us a little bit about your experiences with mentorship as a young person. Sure. I mean, I've had mentors all my life. I've ne never done anything without a mentor. Um, I was in a was in mentoring programs in in high school and in college. Um, but when I think about the the choices that I've made um, as a young woman, trying to figure out navigate education, trying to navigate my career, having finding the courage to do things that were uncomfortable but necessary. I've always relied on you know mentors, people that I trusted to give me honest feedback and advice and to check me, um, but also to be partners in, in my process. Uh, and then I had the privilege of working with a phenomenal organization. Some of you might have heard of it. It's called iMentor. It's a national organization that works with uh, high school students, and its goal is to use mentorship to support um, college access and persistence, because it's one thing to get a young person into college. It's another thing to have them graduate and on time. 
And so uh, that was really where my work with mentoring really crystallized and, and it really informed, I think, the, the, the way that I think about providing support and social capital um, for you know, young people and, and communities. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking to the point of, of college access and persistence, we know that we have a college access and persistence problem across this nation for children growing up in all communities um, of all backgrounds, but particularly kids of color living in low-income communities um, who may have access to great schools like Bliss, but once they leave, um, are really lacking the support services that they need uh, when they get to college to finish their degree. Many are leaving with tremendous debt and no degree to show for it. So I wonder sort of what you think about the, the need for mentorship you know, in, in to college, not just in K-12. You know, there is nothing intuitive about applying to college and uh, filling out financial aid forms um, and being successful. There's nothing intuitive about it. And I think that we've got to actually start, you know, years earlier in elementary school and really provide strong foundations for kids, especially first-generation college-going kids and their families. It's not just them. I think the stars are here, so I'm just going to stop. All right, and let's welcome the stars of our film. And ladies, we're so happy to have you here tonight. I think we were all really inspired by the film and by your stories. I'll reintroduce myself. My name is Abigail Swisher. I'm from the Education Policy Program at New America. Um, and this is Unique Brathwaite, and I'll let you introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, my name is Unique Brathwaite. I am, a, I always start, I'm a Brooklynite, um, and I am a mom of two little boys, um, but I also run a nonprofit in the South Bronx called Lyft. We work with families, and it's so nice to have you here. Thank you. Um, so I'll say now that all of our panelists are here, um, we're working on a pretty short time frame, and we really want to be able to take uh, questions from the audience. So for each of our questions, we'll try to keep it pretty brief, so don't overthink it. But girls, I'm going to start with you. Um, I think that we're all really dying to know what you're doing now. Um, so if you each tell us uh, what you're doing. Well, we've all pretty much spent the summer together doing things like this um, all over the country. And we also went to Toronto um, for part of our press tour. But other than that, in the fall, we'll all be returning to school. I'll be returning to Johns Hopkins University studying computer science, international studies with a minor in Spanish. Hi, everyone. I currently attend Alabama a and University. I'm an urban planning major with a minor in political science. I'm also Miss Urban Planning Association for the upcoming school year. And I'm just trying to maintain uh, my GPA. I was on the um, freshman honor roll, and I have a 3.28. So that talk with my mother worked. <laughs> hey, guys. I just finished my first year of the Bridge EDU program. And in the fall, I'll be attending the University of Baltimore. My major, <laughs> my major is business marketing, double minor in graphic design and communications. All right. And so my next question um, is for Ms. Dofat. You know, I think that 
we were all really inspired by seeing the work that you do, but I, I want to know sort of what inspired you to go into this work in the first place? Um, a couple of things. Um, honestly, to just put it in a nutshell, a lot of things happened that led me to believe that this is exactly what I was put on this earth to do. And because of that, I believe that resources and doors open for me, not because I'm so wonderful or so special, but because there's things that need to be in my hands to give out to others. And so I'm here because I believe that I'm a part of what will happen for this new generation to be as fabulous as they need to be. That's fantastic. And so Amanda, I'm curious sort of what the, the origin story of this film is, you know, uh, how did you find out about Bliss? And how did you know that you wanted to make a film about it? Um, well, thank you all for being here, first of all. In my other life, I'm a Broadway producer. And uh, I love musicals and plays. And on the side of my Broadway career, I was making shorts about first-generation students going to college and girls' education. And I fell in love with a group of schools in New York called the Young Women's Leadership Schools. And um, they have, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they have 100% graduation rate. And I loved watching little sixth graders visit college campuses and the special sauce that they seem to have in getting these girls to college. And um, I'm born and raised in Baltimore. My mom is born and raised in Baltimore, has been an activist there my whole life for women and girls. I remember growing up with a domestic violence hotline being run from my dining room table. Um, so I had the kind of mother that I could say, mom, there's these amazing schools in New York that I'm working with and I think you should replicate it in Baltimore. And she did. And she recruited her daughter to make films for her. So I met these young women when they were 11 years old. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and they were so cute. And um, Blessin hooked her little arm in mine and said, you're a Broadway producer. I'm going to be on Broadway. <laughs> and I believed her. And... Um, I just would come in and out of their school like five or six times a year with cameras and make promotional films, short films about their school to promote the school. And I was also there a lot without cameras because I was a part of the community. And then in the eighth grade, Blessin and another young woman named Nasa were in New York and they were interviewing Sherilyn Eiffel at the ACLU. And Blessin looked at me and said, you know, the next time you come to school with cameras, you really need to come film the step team. You will love us. <laughs> and I said, okay. And I didn't really know anything about step. It wasn't part of my culture growing up. I didn't know about, you know, the rich history of it coming from the mines in Africa and being a means of communication and now in North America being a collegiate sport and something you really earn by going to college and pledging a fraternity or sorority. Uh, but I walked in that day into the gym and Blessin had everybody lined up ready to go. And it was like a musical to me. You know, these girls were showing who they truly were on the inside when they stepped. They were expressing all their fears and their hopes and their dreams when they stepped. And that's exactly what happens in a great musical when somebody sings. So I thought, okay, I think there might be a documentary here. But that was in the eighth grade. And I spent ninth grade just filming them stepping and just watching them step and learning how to film step. It's a complicated movement and art to film. And then uh, in the 10th grade, I did a lot of just one-on-one -on -one interviews and met with family, the families and said I'd like to change the conversation about Baltimore. And then junior year, we started filming Verite. We worked up to that. 
a very hard year, blessed and missed 53 days of school and was kicked off the team. And I watched these women and Paula Dofat and the school pull her back in using step. And then Freddie Gray was killed and uh, their junior year. And I watched my hometown burn on television and I watched that mother go into the riot and pull her son out. And I said, those are my mothers. Those are the mothers on the step team. Those are the mothers in Baltimore. And I have to tell the story now. And I got everyone's permission all over again. And we raced to get ready for senior year. And we just didn't stop after that. So I would love to hear from the three of you young ladies sort of what it was like to live your senior year on film. You know, I think knowing that you guys have, you know, a longstanding relationship, I imagine made it easier. But, you know, this film caught a lot of really, um, really personal, private and like, you know, sort of tender moments um, throughout. And I, I sort of wonder, you know, what it was like to film that and what it's like to see it on the big screen. For me, I didn't really notice the cameras were there. I mean, I was going to have to sign up for college whether the cameras were there or not. I was going to have to, um, well, apply. You don't sign. Okay. And um, I was going to be on the step team whether the camera's there or not. Me and my mother's relationship, that was going to be the same. And um, I mean, it still is the same, but the camera definitely captured our relationship to a T. And it wasn't hard to adapt to the cameras because they were just there capturing our lives and we were just going with the flow. And they were very respectful of everything that was going on in our life. We have a life to live, but they also have a job to fulfill. And so we had to, you know, balance that. And if we weren't feeling it or if we didn't want to be mic'd or wanted to be on the camera, then they were respectful of that. So a great crew, a great team, great documentary. <laughs> <laughs> I think there would have been a lot more pressure to go about filming if we had known how big the documentary would get. Yeah. But I don't think any of us imagined for it to make it this large and to be on such a big scale, for it to be on 200 screens across the country, for us to be on a press tour talking to people like you guys. And so, I don't know, for me, I just never really thought about where it would go. I was just going with the flow also. And I don't know, it just kind of seemed like all the footage was just going into some archives for us to look back on and like show our grandkids and stuff. So it wasn't really hard at all. It just was natural. Um, for me, I had a lot of other things. <laughs> I had a lot of other things to worry about than being a subject in a documentary. You know, I started the step team. I really wanted us to win. Um, not only that, I wanted to get into college. Um, and I just had a lot of things that I had going on. Um, but the documentary, when I look back at it, it really inspires me to keep going. And not only me, my favorite part about this tour is getting a chance to talk to the youth. Um, I really like to talk to them, have them ask me questions, and give them an answer to the best of my abilities to help them live a better life. You know, They can relate to our testimonies in different ways. That's wonderful. And so I'm curious, um, you know, if your friends at home in Baltimore have seen the film and, you know, what, the, what they've said to you about it. Well, it hasn't officially premiered in Baltimore yet, but we mm -hmm. did recently have our Baltimore premiere, which was a small event. But even without seeing the actual film, like with our friends and families just seeing like the previews or just pictures and like small the pictures. Morning America, from, maybe. Yeah, seeing us perform on like all of these different news outlets and stuff like that. We've received so much support. And I think 
like Blessing always says, we are we become like the hometown heroes. You know, people are happy that we are retelling the story and we're rebranding re the city. You know, mm -hmm. we're really showing positive things yeah. so that people don't have to think about the wire or the violence and drugs or anything negative that is represented in Baltimore. Yeah. And being from Baltimore, I love, I love seeing that also. And I, I wonder um, for each of you, what's the thing that you love most about Baltimore? She's going to say the food. The food. <laughs> <laughs> We've been on the road a long time. Actually, it's the food. It's the, <laughs> it's the crab cake. So if you go to Baltimore, right, make sure you go to Coco's. That's K-O-C-O -O on Harper Road. And they have the best crab cakes. They're on like 25. <laughs> Um, I would say my favorite part is just the pride that everybody from Baltimore has. You know, you can meet people from all over the like, not from all over the world, but you can meet, like I meet you, I met you today, and you're like, we have a special connection because we're from Baltimore, you know, it's and true. everybody from Baltimore <laughs> is proud and has that pride. Yeah. Um, for me, my favorite part is the culture. A lot of people don't understand uh, the different layers we have to Baltimore. Like, um, for instance, in my neighborhood, I live in Picktown. I'm from South Baltimore. Um, it's a lot of different types of people. You know, I can walk up the street to the left and I'll see the place where it's really nice and a lot of doctors and lawyers live. Or I can go towards the right and I'll see a few people hanging outside the store and a few girls riding their bikes. I might walk straight and I might see a few drug dealers and I don't have to walk down there. You know, it's, <laughs> um, it's, just, it's very diverse. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of this project um, to shine a different light on Baltimore for like the past decade. The biggest thing that we've seen displayed in the news about Baltimore was the um, uprising. And I think STEP is going to start a different conversation. And I think not only that, but it's going to challenge the um, public education system to remember about the arts and how much it can impact and help a student because the funding is being cut each year. Yeah. I would say, besides my family, who all still lives in Baltimore, she's not from Baltimore. I'm a Jamaica Queens a girl. <laughs> I'm representing for Southside. <laughs> I live in New York. I went to NYU, and it's my second hometown. But uh, besides my family that's in Baltimore, honestly, my favorite thing about Baltimore is bliss and being in that school and walking through the doors. And if any of you get to go to Baltimore and you get to go on request a tour of that school, I bet it becomes your favorite part about Baltimore too, because it's a really special place. That's fantastic. Um, so my next question is for Ms. Dofat. And you know, throughout the film, we really see a lot of your work is helping people to navigate the application process and the financial aid process for applying for school. And knowing that, like, that, you know, oh, this is something that we were discussing before y'all arrived, um, knowing that that process is arduous for everyone, but particularly for low-income families, um, the process both of applying to college and, and determining financial aid packages can be almost a barrier, you know, to, to going. I wonder what you think colleges should be doing differently. So, first, I, I do appreciate your question, and actually it's not so much arduous for low-income families, it's more arduous for first-generation families, sure. and that can be anybody. So more so, I think colleges are doing more than a lot of people know and understand. Mm -hmm. So it's more so, and I have to take ownership of this, it's more on the school side. 
Colleges are definitely, they want us. They want students. They are open. You know, I have admissions counselors call me about students and they'll say, okay, this student's GPA is amazing. You know, can you ask her to take the SAT two more times for me? So colleges are really supportive. They can be. It's on our side. Most of our guidance counseling departments, and I'm not a guidance counselor, I'm a college counselor, mm -hmm. but most of them are inundated. They, are, they have so many, their caseload is so heavy that it's almost impossible for them to do their jobs. But I believe with everything in me that every guidance counselor that I have met, it is their heart and their desire to do it, but there's only so many hours in a day. Yeah. So what I would say is it's not on that side, it's on the school side, and we need to actually reconfigure guidance counselor departments yeah. because they have so much. So I'm gonna be brief, but I really do need to get this out, yeah. is that I believe that when they were putting schools together, everything that was left, they dumped it in guidance. So mm -hmm. test administration, um, scheduling, social emotional support, college mm -hmm. counseling, discipline, anything you can think of, it's in there. And I think they just didn't know where to put it, but then you mm -hmm. expect miracles. Yep. So we need to be reconfigured, that's number one. Um, number two, they need more professional development within college counseling. I don't know if anyone is aware, but within the master's program for guidance counselors for school counseling, College counseling is one tiny section of one class in the entire master's program, but that should be, that's the culmination of your education from pre-K to, to 12th grade. How can that just be one section? I could talk about that forever, so I'm gonna let it go, but I'm just saying that we actually need to be more proactive about what's going on in our high schools and giving some support to the guidance counselors and instead of pointing our fingers and saying what they're not doing, find out the resources that they do not have and figure out how we can get them to them. Yeah. And you know, to that end, um, I'd really love to know more about what Bliss does differently so that you are supported to do your job well. Bliss reconfigured it. So mm -hmm. I am, there are 10 people at my school that do the job of a guidance counselor. We don't even have a guidance counselor. Mm -hmm. So I do college counseling from sixth grade to 12th grade. Then we have a student support services team that does social and emotional support. That's probably about five or six people. We have a registrar that does um, testing and she also does all the um, scheduling for uh, for our students, then our principals handle discipline. So you're talking about 10 people doing the job of a guidance counselor, so that should tell you. That's why we know every single girl in our school by name and by need, why we are connected with families, because we're not overburdened and overloaded, and we can focus. So case in point, when everything happened with, the, with Freddie Gray, that was really emotionally tumultuous for a lot of our students. If we were in college application season, social, uh, the guidance counselor would have to focus on the social emotional, and rightly so. So what happens to college applications? Yeah. So we do need to reconfigure, and our school has done a great job of that, and that's the Young Women's Leadership Models, and I was at the Jamaica Queen School, and so we follow that model, and that's why our results are what they are. Yeah. So I'm also curious, um, and I'm sorry, I keep peppering you with questions, but I think it's just really inspiring what you're doing, and I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from it. What you see is the most important thing to do to engage parents at school, especially parents who have barriers to being physically present in schools as much as you might want. Well, like I said, it depends on our staff, but our staff will go to homes. 
we will show up. And I think that's it, meeting parents where they are. So we have some parents that work three jobs and I need to meet them, maybe I need to be at the school at 6.30 in the morning, we'll do that. Or we need to stay at school until eight o'clock at night or we need to meet them at a coffee shop. So it's more so making sure that we are available to parents, you know? And the other piece of that, that I think about the success of it is also letting students know that it's okay to have an individual success plan. There's no cookie cutter to success. So each one of them has their own place and their own desire. That's why it's okay that Blessing is super creative and into the arts. We need to celebrate that in our students and help them to understand that no, absolutely you need to pass your classes and she's quite capable but that's not where her interest lies. So Blessing is more the person that's like, I love arts, do I really have to do this homework? I can do it, but do I really have to do the homework? But that's not the issue, because it's not celebrated in the way it should be, and guide her in that, mm -hmm. then that's where we have the issues and the problems. So every student needs to have their individual path celebrated, and we need to throw resources at it. Yeah, absolutely. And Blossom, I have um, a question specifically for you about Bridge EDU, um, just to give the audience some context about what Bridge EDU is and what your experience has been like there. Um, basically, it's a program that helps students that don't typically have the best GPA transition into college. Um, it's on a college campus, but you're taking community college courses. Um, you have the teachers from the community colleges come to the universities, and you're involved on campus. You can participate in clubs. Um, you have an entire staff and team behind you that supports you with financial aid, making sure you're going to your classes, asking about your experience, um, how's it going. And it really reminded me a lot of Bliss. And it's, it was a year program, and I really do advocate for students that know that they need to figure out what kind of student they are to participate in bridge programs. Yeah. That's fantastic. So we're gonna open it up shortly to the audience um, for questions. We're gonna come around with the microphone, so if you would raise your hand when you know your question. I will uh, be firm on the fact that it needs to actually be a question, not a statement you know, disguised as a question. Um, I am also, as Beth mentioned at the beginning, a former teacher, so I will cut you off. But if folks have questions, uh, please go ahead and raise your hands. Um, hi. It's a really touching film, and it's amazing to watch um, all of you sort of watch your dreams come true in all these different ways on screen. And um, sort of going to what Ms. Dofat was just talking about, I'm wondering if there was something that either Ms. Dofat or Coach D or somebody did at the school that really allowed each of you to show your own brilliance. Like Ms. Dofat was saying, like you're all very brilliant and powerful in your own way, but was there something that a mentor or someone did in your support system that was like a routine or a way that they showed up for you that really seemed to to make you feel that power and that brilliance um, over the course of your senior year? For me, this really isn't um, shown in a documentary, but me and my roommate, Victoria, she also attended Bliss, and it was possible for us, me and my mother, Victoria, and Ms. Dofat to go down to Alabama A&M during, I think, like spring break or... Drove down 12 hours. Yeah. We, <laughs> it was the best time of your Sorry, life. Sorry, my happy face. We drove down 12 hours. Thank you. And so we drove 12 hours there, and then we came back the next day. But um, we actually went to the school, and we went to financial aid. And Victoria's, like, really, really smart. She's, like, a um, mechanical engineer major. She's on the scholarship and all that kind of stuff. So we go in there, and they have this big check. I'm like, oh, go, Vicky. You're getting money to go to school. And I'm just being so encouraging. And they're like, Taylor, come here. I said, huh? 
They're like, this check is for you. I said, no, it's not. I don't have no scholarship from y'all. What are y'all talking about? I just get the fee waiver. And they're like, no, you do. So I didn't really know what I was capable of. I actually took the ACT multiple times to be able to get that scholarship. And Ms. Delphet didn't tell me or my mother, but that was the nicest surprise I could get um, going to school. So I paid like 8000 for tuition and I got 20000 for the course of four years. So that was um really great for me. And that was something that she um, allowed me to do. And I'm grateful for that. I wouldn't say it's anything in specific that just one person did, but there were a lot of things that everybody did to help us to get where we are today. For instance, like Ms. Dofat said, staff wasn't afraid to stay after like long hours after school ended to help us on an assignment that we maybe didn't do too well on or something that we were, an upcoming assignment that we had to turn in to make sure that we would get a good grade. They would help us to calculate the grades that we would need to get to pass the class with an A or B or whatever it was that was your goal. For me specifically, Ms. Dofat is the reason that I'm at Johns Hopkins because I wasn't even gonna apply. Um, wow. Yeah, I wasn't. And, and so just, before we knew, I'm sorry, uh, go ahead. I have a, a, a follow-up question after you're done. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I wasn't even going to apply. And um, not only am I there now with her help, but I'm there on a full scholarship. Also. And so it's just the small things that educators and staff and even our families and support systems do to, that really go a long way. Um, so I think that the, the number of rounds of applause that Ms. Dofat um, has received from this audience really speaks to the fact that she comes out as one of the heroes of this film. And Amanda, I, I'd love to hear you speak to how you identified who you know the heroes and the role models in this film would be, because I imagine at Bliss there are, are quite a few. Well, I actually met Ms. Dofat when she was teaching at a 12 school, and I was making a short film about the school, and... She was crying to me about her undocumented valedictorian. And I watched her through my monitor, and I was just blown away by how much she cared. And I had met a lot of college counselors. And then we kind of turned the camera off, and she said, oh, you know, I, I, I've been meaning to tell you I, I have to move to Maryland. And I said, what do you mean you have to move to Maryland? She goes, well, I have to move to Baltimore. I go, you have to move to Baltimore? I know a school that needs a college counselor. So that is how Paula ended up at Bliss. So and that was way before the documentary was even, you know, a spark of an idea. And, you know, I will just say that Lesson started the team. She was the captain of the team. She told me to come film the team. She told me I felt, you know, she told me she wanted to be on Broadway. I felt a connection to her. And I also was perplexed by the fact that she was just this incredibly charismatic and dynamic leader on the STEP team and yet academically struggled. And I didn't quite understand that. I wanted to know more about that. You know, I took every opportunity in this film to flip any stereotype I could on its head. So with Corey, I knew Corey is the number one student in the school always. And I walked into step practice and I had to do a double take because I couldn't believe that was Corey Granger stepping. She just had a completely different personality. It's like Beyonce and Sasha Fierce. <laughs> um, and I knew her mom had had her very young. And I thought, okay, this is a great stereotype to flip on its head. You know, the uh, teenage mom who 
has a valedictorian who gets a full ride to Hopkins and raises all of her kids with grace and purity and faith and love and uses all her resources around her. So I took that opportunity. And then Taylor joined in the ninth grade and kind of like was like amazing right away at stepping. I'm like, who is this girl? And where did she come from? And why is she so good so quick? And her mother was standing on the side in a bulletproof vest. <laughs> and I was like, you can't write this stuff. What's happening here? And um, Maisha was extremely supportive of the documentary and even till last night when the other our other teammates uh, left New York to go back after Good Morning America and the Today Show and Estee Lauder and our whirlwind New York City experience, they went back to Baltimore and she met all of them outside of the bus, outside of Twil uh, Bliss when they got there to make sure everyone got in their car and was on their way home. So she just was there for them. And I also thought, whoa, she's a black woman in Baltimore who's a corrections officer and the police are her biggest heroes growing up. So I felt the need to make sure that story was told as well. And the thing about it is we really wanted this film to be about a team. And I made a promise to these girls that while I may focus on certain stories and I may follow certain people's paths, that none of it would have been possible without all 19 of them being there and being a part of it. And my editor, Penelope Falk, and I, who I owe such a huge amount of debt to, she's incredible, unbelievable. Uh, we worked very hard that at the end of this film, even if you didn't know every girl's name, you felt like you knew them and you felt that there was a team behind this. And I hope that we accomplished that. Fantastic. I think we'll take another question from the audience. So I identified with the movie a little bit because I was raised in um, New Orleans and I went to an inner city school. One of the things I noticed about the movie was we saw them from home and you guys went back to school. There's some outside noise besides home and school and talking with the youth and telling them about how I got out of that and how I was able to go to college and be uber successful. Um, looking at what you guys are doing and kind of do, going down that same path, can you talk a bit, little bit about the noise between home and school? Meaning the boyfriends, like you were saying, the, the violence and just being able to kind of, how do you navigate all of that? Because it's not just home and school. And I think when people watch the film, sometimes they think, well, what else are they going through? What else is happening? So can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe some of the challenges? Because I know you miss school a lot. And I was kind of wondering, I had cousins that miss school a lot too but I knew what was happening when they were missing school. So, you know, just talk a little bit about that and, and let us know, um, you know, what, what some of that outside noise was. Um, okay, so Bliss is in the middle of downtown Baltimore. And for instance, on my way to school, you come across a lot of different things. Some people not going to school, some people hanging on the bus stop, some people just smoking weed on the curb, you know? And um, for me, it wasn't really because I felt like I didn't want to go to school. It was just a lot going on in my home environment. And um, I had a lot of responsibilities that wasn't shown in the documentary, sometimes having to take my nephew to school before I came to school. Dealing with my mom, dealing to staying up till 3 a.m., dealing with my mom and my dad. You know, it's different things that you go through. But um, I would say something that kept me going was always envisioning the person that I knew I would become. And um, that gave me a lot of hope in my darkest days. And um, something you didn't see in the documentary is um, conversations with teachers, and they really pulled me in a lot, and they would say, blessing, you're shying away from your potential. And um, I didn't really understand what that was uh, just yet, but I knew something about me was special. I always had a niche for the arts, 
Um, I knew I was really good at that. I might not have been good at my education, but step was something that kept me in correlation with school. In order to go to step practice, you had to go to school. And um, that year is, is why I got kicked off the step team, but I didn't miss 53 days um, prior to me being kicked off. I missed it after I was kicked off. Um, and that's something that they leave out of the documentary. Um, step meant a lot to me. Step was my connection to school. And um, it kept me motivated. And that's why I tell people so much that the arts are very, very, very Art important. Is yes. Art is power. And um, I found myself stepping. So um, that year, the team also lost every competition they entered. Um, and that just goes to show how important each and every last one of us are in the sisterhood and the step dynamic and um, just in life. I would say make your circumstances work or try to get through them. From ninth to, I think, 11th grade, I actually wasn't staying with my mother simply because um, the neighborhood that I was growing up in, it was really dangerous. And, you know, my mom gets up for school. I mean, sorry, she doesn't go to school. She goes to work. <laughs> and she goes to work at um, 3 o'clock in the morning. And sometimes she doesn't come home until 12 or 3 o'clock or even sometimes 7 o'clock. And so I needed to rely on others to make sure I made it to school. And I lived with aunts, I lived with uncles, I lived with cousins, I lived with friends. And the scene in the movie where my mother asked about my grade, we actually got, um, I was in step practice and my house got broken into and my mom had walked in while they were still in my house and she still had all her stuff on. So that was really crazy. And she called me in step practice, like, why would you leave my house a mess? I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't leave your house a mess. like. Why would I even mess up the living room? I have my own room to mess up. I wouldn't do that. And so she's like, wait, is someone in here? And so she went downstairs, saw them downstairs, and they like ran out the back and stuff like that. So we had to um, move. That night, we packed up all our stuff, and we moved with my grandmother. She lives in Baltimore County. So I had to um, walk to the bus stop, which was like a mile away. And then I had to get on the bus at the beginning of the stop and go all the way, basically to the end of the bus line. And that would take an hour. So I wasn't really motivated to get up and go to school and still go to step practice and things like that. So maybe blessing and mispractice, but I was coming to school late. And so one day I came in for step practice and the principal was like, you can come on time for step practice, but you can't come on time for school. And I'm like, well, <laughs> but I definitely um, made my circumstances work and I actually talked to my teachers about what I was going through and my art teacher, which was my first period teacher, she asked why I was coming to school late and I told her and every day since that day she called me at 6 o'clock and 6.15 to make sure that I would get up and be on time for school. So that just shows how powerful educators can be if they care about you and support you. So just work through your circumstances and um, find people to support you. Hi, I, I relate a lot to the fact that you're first generation in your family. So I'm just wondering how it was for you now that you've gone through your first year of college in terms of like being out of your usual support system and um, like, is there some kind of structured support system for you at the college where you're at? Or are you able to create that for yourself in some way or take some kind of agency and be an advocate for yourself? 
Um, the first year for me, my biggest adjustment was the academics. But as far as support, I was supported from so many different aspects. So at Bliss, we actually have um, a college alumni coordinator who checks in with us at several points throughout the school year just to check on our grades, check and see if we need anything, whether that be school supplies or toiletries. And she visited every single one of us on our campus at some point. And so that was just, that's amazing in and of itself. But then there's also, aside from Bliss, at my school, there's, I did a program called Hop In, which is like a summer bridge program, the summer before you get to campus. And they are really focused on making sure that you get to learn who's in your corner. Like you get to learn your resources in the different offices and everything that's available to you. And they work with you all throughout the year to help you with whatever you need, whether that be financial help or buying you school supplies and textbooks, because who? What's to pay $300 for textbook? It's ridiculous. That you barely use. Exactly. But um, whether that be textbooks or helping you find tutors or helping you find emotional support on campus because you are in a new environment. And also I found, I made a lot of friends my first year. And so that also helped me to be able to adjust a lot. And um, lastly, I didn't go far away from home. So whenever I felt like it was too much, Actually, I didn't go home a lot. I just had my mom come to me. But just the fact that I was still pretty close to home, I didn't feel too out of my element. Well, I went 12 hours away. Um, and the first year, I didn't make any friends, only because I didn't know how. And I've had the same friends for seven years. So, yeah, that was just weird, trying to make friends. So I just stayed in the library and in my room most of the time and in the cafe. And I also attend school with two of Ms. Dofat's sons. So they were really, um, yeah, she they're my get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were really um, supportive and helpful. And actually, one of them has the same major as me. So we would um, work on assignments together. And that was just really a helpful experience. But my mom still calls me every day. She texts me in third person, like, Mommy loves you. And I think that's so weird. <laughs> and um, not only does my mom call me, but my Nana calls me every single day. She knows my schedule. She knows. She's like, oh, you're walking to class? I'm like, yes, Nana, I'm walking to class. And um, so they're really supportive. My family is really supportive. And my sisters on the step team are supportive as well. I have some who I'll call when I'm going through something financially or some that I'll call when I'm going through something emotionally. And they help me get back on track when I did want to transfer. I didn't want to do it anymore because college is hard. And I, when going into college, I didn't think it was something that I could do simply because I'm unorganized. My teachers were asked for my assignments in high school, and I couldn't give it to them to the end of the class because my binder is so full, but I did the work. I would tell them, like, I did it. I didn't just do it in class, I promise, but now I can just pull it out the folder because I bought a planner. So if you have children <laughs> going to college, um, the first gift that you should get them is a planner and a pen because it's really helpful. <laughs> this isn't my question, but I have to say, Taylor, I worship your mother because I think I'm exactly like her. I have a 19-year-old, my only girl. She's going to college. And what was that shot you did when were they walking down and she was just like throwing her head back and bawling? <laughs> That's going to be me. I loved her. Say hi to her. I will. Um, I had a question because I noticed when I first saw Blessing in the film, I immediately, I don't even think she was dancing. It was in the house. And I went, oh, that's an artist. 
immediately. I recognized her as an artist. So my question is sort of to you, Ms. Dofat. I know that you talked about recognizing that, but did you ever feel at any point that she needed to be in a high school of performing arts or go off to college, like Royal Academy of School of Drama or... Yeah, and I wanted to address it to both of you. I wanted to know sort of where you were at trying to get her to, like you said, you're an artist, that's great. You still have to get an education. But was there ever sort of an in-between where she would actually be moving in the direction of becoming a, an artist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a program, oh, it's a school in Baltimore that's actually around the corner from Bliss. And it's the Baltimore School of the Arts. And yeah, and I was in the 12s program throughout middle school. Um, and I, they did discuss if I wanted to enroll in that school, um, but I didn't accept it because Bliss promised me since I was a little girl that they would get me into college. And um, that's why I didn't take that route. Um, and I always figured what's for me will always be for me. Um, and I just walk in God's divine order and I'm in college. I just finished my first year and I'm very proud. All right, so for, so for me, I actually met Blessing when she was finishing her ninth grade year. So I was trying to get to know all the students. And I think at that point, the conversations that she and I had, um, at that moment, you weren't really embracing the art side in that way with me. And so we were looking at a different point. But I'm grateful now for the path that she's come through because now she's helped me to recognize it earlier in other students that I can tell them that it's okay. So um, her path was not just for her. It was also to help with my professional development, which I didn't know, and every girl and every student that we encounter, it is for our professional development, those of us who work with young people, and now I will be able to do something different for her Bliss sisters that are coming behind her. So you leave a legacy whether you know it or not. Yeah. That was a great question and a great answer. Um, we have time for a couple more, ma'am. Hi, thank you. So proud of everybody. Thank you so much. Was there ever a point where you said, I can't do it? I can't do it. And if you did, what happened that made you say, yes, I can? Wait, so you mean can't do the film or can't do school or can't, can't do, do school, can't okay. give up? Was there ever a point where you said, I can't do this and I'm not going to? Yes. Because um, I was going through a lot with school, as I told you guys the story before. So I didn't feel motivated to really do much. I was tired. I was drained emotionally, physically. And not only did I have to do the hour walk and the, well, not the hour walk, the long walk and the hour ride. I had to do that to and from school. And then I would have to, if someone was helping me out to get to school, I had to rely on them. And I don't think a lot of people like to rely on other people to get a lot of things done. So the most supportive and the most motivational aspect of my life definitely came from my school because if everyone's in the household that I'm in, they're working, then no one can really focus on my um, my needs and what I can do to make it work. So there are times where I don't feel like doing it. And even still today, there's sometimes I don't feel like going to class, but I know that I need to maintain the GPA that I want. I need to do, there are things that I don't want to do that I need to do to be able to be the person that I am. And I just think about all those times when my mother's like fussing at me and you know, I'm the disciplinary act in the movie. 
So I think about those times and my mom can't really come to Alabama as quickly as she could come to Bliss. So, um, but she will pop up in Alabama. So I make sure that everything is okay. So my mom is my motivation. Um, this is more for blessing. So as a collective, we were able to see your passion for the arts, but I personally noticed that you had a talent with the makeup brush. Your face was beat <laughs> through all the scenes. So I just wanted to know, with your workload, were you able to like create a side hustle with makeup? We were all wondering. <laughs> well, I'm, well, I actually like to like draw and like do like actual like visual arts as well. Um, but I, I really stopped a lot in high school. I don't know why. Um, but that was a way that I could just display what I love, creativity and my makeup and my hair. I changed my hair in every scene. Um, and she looks most beautiful with no makeup on. I think. She tells me that all the time. But um, yeah, I make, I make money from it. You know, sometimes they pull me aside in the bathroom at Bliss and they ask me to do the eyebrows for $7. <laughs> Um, and and, and it, 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 you know, it, it came in handy. It came in handy. Um, somebody asked a question that I wanted to say something about. It was about school. Was it motivation? Giving up. Giving up. Um, there was times in the documentary where uh, I was going through the most. Let's be for real. I was going through the most um, at home, in school. Um, emotional. It was a scene in the documentary where I said, uh, sometimes I feel like I'm two different people. I feel stuck. And then the other one feels fearless, empowered, and ready to go. But for me, yes, it was hard opening up in front of the camera. Um, simply because a lot of people see you and they think you have everything going on. Um, and for me, the goal was to um, help others, inspire others in the direction that the millennials are going in. We really are very big on social media. And um, I feel like we're just drifting away from appreciating like who people are genuinely and um, without all of the makeup, follow the hair, without all the drama and all the glamour. And um, it was just me just showing a different side and hoping that the audience could relate to me and um, you know, identify with my testimony. So we're at about time and I have one last question for the girls, so I'm gonna be selfish and take the last question. At the end of the day, this movie is about your future. So five years, 10 years down the road, where should we expect to see the three of you? Um, for me, I hope to um, open up my own rec center or um, nonprofit organization just to help children like all of us. And um, I think it's really important to have um, rec centers because cities put money into jails more than they do yeah. the community, but we're not gonna talk about that. <laughs> Um, but I definitely want to do that, but that's on the side, but that's definitely a main focus. But I also want to do transportation planning, housing planning, and environmental planning, and um, help cities develop into better cities. So no more traffic in New York. I'm not exactly sure where I'll be in five to 10 years, but I'll definitely be a college graduate and I'll have my master's degree, maybe my PhD, but I'm just trying to get through bachelor's first. And I see myself working for a really big tech company. I'm not exactly sure what I'll be doing, maybe programming, but something STEM, traveling the world and speaking a lot of languages. Yes. 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 Yes.
college graduate, um, starting a scholarship, working with Taylor and her rec centers, making sure that Steph is involved. Um, you know, on the big screen again, hopefully have my Broadway debut. Um, getting a chance to tour the world, talking to the youth, that's something that I really love. And other than that, I also have a makeup line in Baltimore. It's called Gym Beauty. My family owns a makeup shop. And you know, just making it the next Mac Cosmetics, or better. I want to thank you all for being here tonight um, and thank all of our panelists for being here with us. If you can give them one more round of applause. Really fantastic. Thank you for listening to this New America NYC podcast. This recording carries a Creative Commons, non-commercial, 4.0 international license. To learn more about New America, please visit us at newamerica.org.